Hello there. You're listening to Sasitup podcast by Sashwath and Oscar where you speak with startup founders, venture capitalists and some of the leading talents in the world. We listen to their personal journeys and share their stories that shape their world view. We have a great guest today, Johannes Müller. Johannes has worked as an analyst at Fly Ventures, an early stage VC fund based in Berlin. He has supported the BMW Group and is now founder and CEO of WorkPath, an agile OKR and goal management platform. So first of all, Johannes, it's great to have you here today. Thank you so much for your time. How are you? Very well. Thanks for having me. Great to be on the show. Great. So can you tell us a little bit more about your personal journey and your story so far? We would love to learn more about that. Yeah, sure. I grew up in the south of Germany at Lake Constance, actually. So right at the border triangle between Switzerland and Austria, beautiful countryside with mountains and lake. And I moved to Munich it's almost 10 years ago now for, for my studies. I studied business and technology management. I've actually, from the first months on when I arrived in Munich, I've always been involved in companies and young companies and digital companies, all kinds of projects as a student. I think when I was still 19, we were in some kind of incubator where we were tinkering on the first project. I worked at a couple of startups during that time, finished my studies then in the US, uh, in, in New York, at Columbia. And when I came back to Europe, I moved to Berlin. You, you already said that, spent some time And that was pure serendipity at Fly Ventures. It was just, I knew the guys who who started the fund. It was a, a, a newfound micro VC. And they were like, hey, we know you want to be back in like an entrepreneurial environment. If, if you don't know what you're doing next uh, in the next couple of weeks or months, why don't you join us for half a year or a year, sit on the other side of the table, see like how a VC works. And, and that was basically what I did there. And then over the course of this good year that I was in Berlin, I already had a couple of topics that I was excited about somewhere around like social stuff in, in with regards to elderly care, for example, I looked closely at that, but the most important, most exciting thing has always been work and, and how do organizations work just from being in startups for years. I think I've had a very natural and, and practical perspective on that. We always asked ourselves, like, how do you organize work, right? Just one example at Freeletics, where I was a, as a working student, one of our co-founders was the CTO there. We were like 11 people or so. And a year later, it was more than 100 people. So you, of course, ask yourself, how do you scale what made us successful in the, in the beginning, right? We were a small team, everything you need in one room. You are the customer yourself. You're close to the customer. How do you scale that without establishing processes that make it feel like a, like a corporate already? And that led me to founding WorkPath in late 2017, early 2018, We realized that the way we work in our digital bubble it gets more awareness in the mainstream, in, in larger corporates. Uh, everyone sends their sea level to Silicon Valley and they come back and a lot of change was going on. And we realized these kind of new operational models, organizational models that people are thinking about and trying to adapt They will also need a new generation of technology and tools and processes. And yeah, with WorkCraft, we want to contribute something to that. Awesome. So I think uh, you rightly mentioned you've worked with BMW and you have a venture ecosystem exposure as well at Fly Ventures. So what were some of the learnings did you gather along the way that you can currently use as a CEO at WorkPath? As a founder, as an entrepreneur, I would say I didn't come up with that, but I think about it a lot. We always 
overestimate what you can build in, in one year and you underestimate what you can build in three and in five years. So I think looking back, all of the things I did led to founding WorkPath and, and make a lot of sense. They're all building blocks that help us shape this company the way we, we build it. And still, you're always planning ahead, like very ambitious goals. And some of the things that make WorkPath such a cool and fun company to work at today, I think is it just took some time. Yeah? It's after two, three years, some things just fall into place relationships with customers, with partners, some things just take time to, to grow. So that is something where I get a lot of like persistence from. And I, I strongly believe it's it's a long-term game that we're playing here and, and you should play it for the long run. And maybe one more thing also with regards to that, I realize that it, it's good to be in love with the problem, not necessarily your solution. I, I know a lot of people who start companies because they are really good in something and with a certain technology they, they are passionate about. And we saw some of this when I was in, in venture capital, you might end up in a solution looking for a problem situation. And for us, we're just passionate about how organizations work, how a strategy in the future of work has to be developed and operationalized in a completely new way, how you democratize strategy and the strategy process in solving that problem. Like nobody has fixed this yet, and it might be a pretty big problem, but it, it gives you more flexibility. It gives you more persistence, more, it allows for more creativity if you're passionate about the problem and flexible in, in ways of solving that. Johannes, in our podcast, we talk to founders, we talk to CEOs. And when we especially talk about enabling growth, there are a lot of things in common, but everybody has their different approach or their own approach, their own perspective. What is your approach, how to enable growth at WorkPath? That is indeed a big question. <laughs> how does a software company, how does a software service company grow? We usually differentiate between new business and grow from existing customers, companies we already work with. I think for new business, something that is very strong in our DNA is that we are a content-driven and education-driven business. So customers or companies in general find us through great content because they see WorkPath is not just a tool. It's not a software company only. It's, it's sort of like an ecosystem where you find answers to the questions you might have in, in the context, right? All of our customers are in a big transformation. They have to change and they seek for answers, how to start with this, how to do it. One of our principles there is to out-teach the competition. So we want to be the best in providing the best education, best support, the best data and benchmarks, helping companies adapt the new tools and processes they are looking for. And, and so content marketing, if you, you want to call it like that, you know, our event series, a podcast, we have the Super Kinetics podcast, we have a magazine, all of these things help attracting companies who are interested in this space. And then I think we make a good point in, in being a credible partner who knows what they were talking about and, and can help scaling this with our software. We do outbound, of course, but again, outbound, I think, is always built on you need to know who you talk to and whom problem you're solving in your organization. And then you need to you need to be like a more like more of a consultant than a regular. I'm just pushing a product into your organization, right? So what we invest a lot in is good education for our own sales team in being really consultants, being partners for the people we sell to, solving their problems on the way. And this might be different ways. And sometimes it might take a bit longer, particularly with those enterprise customers that we work with. And then one last thing, as I said, this was rather referring to new business. Retention is key in, in SaaS. We have a, a net retention rate of more than 150% right now, right? We sell to huge customers with usually tens or hundreds of thousands of employees and you start small and you have a land and expand where you not just grow with more users, but with more modules, more reporting capacities. And if, if you have a good relationship with your customers, you turn them into champions. 
this is where a lot of our growth comes from. Even though new business and new logos is more important in total, uh, retention is, is a very strong foundation. What are your biggest challenges in enabling growth? You are a founder CEO as well. So obviously you'll be facing a lot of challenges in your day-to-day life from external stakeholders, internal uh, organizational dynamics as well. So how do you cope up with it? Challenges? Yeah, there are some. <laughs> I think I mentioned one already. We are a, a young team. None of us has like 10, 20, 30 years of corporate background. And still we are an enterprise vendor. We're selling to enterprises. We're selling to like the 500 to 700 largest company in, in the regions that we are. So this means longer sales cycles. It means lots of stakeholders. You have to help your stakeholders within the customer organization, which can be like seven to 15 people sometimes have to help them navigate through that jungle of processes and, and approvals and things like that, and really enable them to be your champion on the other side of the table. So I, I'd say that is something where we learned and had to learn and still learning a lot and good stakeholder management introducing engagement plans. We try to become a team with your champion within the customer organization as early as possible in the process. As much as you think about how do I enable my own salespeople, how do I enable the partner on the other side to make this a success and to to get into a running system with our software as, as soon as possible. Another thing I also touched already is what we are doing is about change. I'm very confident that this will always be a high touch topic. No matter if you are 500 people startup, no matter if you are 100,000 company, it is a topic that involves a lot of different processes that need to be integrated. It's abstract for some people. So it's not something that a product that is like plug and play, swipe with your credit cards, get going. So this needs a, a very structured approach on the one hand, how you enable people in companies to understand what you're doing and then go step by step, find out what they need, how you can work with them. Again, it's, it's all about being more like of a consultant in that sales process. On the other hand, it is also about being good in, in finding out if a customer, if a prospect is not ready yet, right? Some company, they, they should get trainings, they are interested in our content, but maybe it's not the timing yet for us to sell there. So saying no, disqualifying leads, which are not mature enough or, or just don't tick some of the boxes, I think it's something extremely important in that context. And yeah, hiring, of course, attracting more good people that help us building a work path the way we, we aspire to. What I really love, Johannes, is your approach to growth to say, we want to outteach the competition. We want to show our customers, even before they buy from us, what we can do. And I feel that's something that many startups, many SaaS companies are struggling with, especially when they were just founded. How can I find like my strategy to growth? What is your experience in that? How can a, a startup, a SaaS company just founded find their strategy? I think you, you already touched it quite well. It's all about getting into your customer's shoes. Yeah, customer immersion, I think I would call it as early as possible. I think you should roughly at least know which problem field you want to tackle and, and whom you probably are going to work with and whose problem you're going to solve. I think it's, it's really important to think of it as a relationship more than as I'm building a product and I'm selling this. I think that's really the essence of a subscription economy and of software as a service. It doesn't really matter if you sell a plug and play SME tool for, for like 50 euros or an enterprise solution for like Fortune 500 companies, you're always selling to people uh, and you're always there to solve their problems. So what we did, for example, was really four months after starting WorkPath, we launched our first MVP product with a couple of paying customers. 
But really, literally one week after going to the notary and, and starting company, we scheduled the first event. We have this series of quarterly events and an OKR forum. And we just made sure we, we build a community. We become a part of a community of the people that we want to partner with to solve their problems. And we learned so much from them. We became visible as a brand way before we had product market fit, build as many relationships as possible, uh, learn as much as possible from that. And then it's, it's I think, the regular playbook that is well-established for product market fit. I would always focus on product market fit first, like who are you selling to? What's the persona? What are their problems? Iterating the solution towards their problems and then find out what's the right messaging. How do I phrase this? How do I frame it? But it, it is in the end always coming back to building good relationships as early as possible and think of it as I want to build lifelong relationships uh, and I want to build in a scalable way. WorkPath is an agile OKR and goal management platform, and I'm pretty sure you are an OKR evangelist as well. So I believe OKRs are a team-based goal-setting methodology. So you being a founder, entrepreneur, managing a company, you might have a lot of teams and you've raised some venture funding as well. So you'd be engaging with a lot of VCs. So how does when a VC and an entrepreneur team up together, how are the OKRs shape up internally and together as a cohesive team as well when you are partners to each other? Yeah, we position WorkPath as a, as a strategic operating system. And, and I think it's important in, in any business you run to understand what are the artifacts, what are the strategic artifacts that need to play together. And, and you're right, OKRs as a, as a goal setting, as a planning and collaboration framework, this is focused on planning outcomes. What kind of outcomes do we want to achieve and what is the value we want to create for customers in the next three months and how do we measure it? If you talk about the entrepreneur venture capital interface, what the VC ultimately, of course, is interested in is business value, business impact, right? So your traditional KPIs, gross margin, retention, and so on. Those are, we call this business impact, and it's a different thing than outcomes. Those are typically metrics that are turning and, and moving a, a little bit slower than the outcomes you want to create on a monthly or on a quarterly basis. So the answer is these business impact metrics, the KPIs, how much do we want to grow? This is one sort of like North Star, one part of the sandbox that we are operating in. We have shared goals where we want to be in terms of business metrics, shareholder relevant metrics, and they are sort of like one guideline helping us phrasing our goals on a quarterly basis, on a company level and on a team level. What are the outcomes we want to create for our customers, for our business? So we will have a positive impact on business metrics, the KPIs on the year, on the next two years. What I would like to know more about is how do you actually work with OKRs on a daily basis, on a weekly basis? How can a company, if they say, okay, we love this methodology, how can we implement that in our business as well? What are the first steps? I think the most important format here is weekly check-ins. Another important artifact in this strategic operating model is work input. Where do I spend my time on? What's the work I put into the system to achieve these outcomes? So what we do in our weekly check-ins is we look at Well, now that's happening on the management level. It happens in, in all teams and engineering teams and sales teams. We ask ourselves, what are we doing? What do we plan to do the next week? And what is, will be the impact on our key results, on our OKRs, on the outcomes we plan to achieve in this cycle? And we also look back in the last week, how did the things we plan to do on the work input level, how did they actually drive our OKRs? And what did we learn from that? So the whole idea is really, it's not a framework just to document goals and then forget about them, but really to have constant feedback loops on a weekly basis, which makes you more adaptive and more aware of how strategically relevant was this week. Yeah, did we make progress or not? And why not? So 
The weekly check-in, I think, is the most important communication conversation format to make sure OKRs actually are a dynamic, a living process that has steering impact on a weekly basis. And then there are a couple of examples, like how do we do OKRs in, in our company? Like we do OKRs together with our customers. So we set goals with our customers. What do we together with WorkPath want to achieve in the next cycle? And that's one way how our customer success sets goals for themselves. Another example would be onboarding OKRs. New joiners at WorkPath get like a personal OKR, what to achieve, how to be successful in the first quarter. And then they can fill this with their own initiatives, their own ideas, how they want to achieve it. And then I think you asked like a second question there, how can you implement OKRs? I think it really depends on what you want to achieve and where you are as a company. So I would always start by asking, what are the biggest business challenges we have and why would we introduce OKRs? Some might focus more on strengthening focus. What do we focus on? Some might strengthen more on cross-functional collaboration, Teams are growing very fast. You have that silo feeling. You want to make sure that outcomes are being achieved by people working together on shared goals. Defining why do you do OKRs and then define your metrics of success. When do we know if our OKR process is successful? That's, I think, what I would always start with. And then you can you can plan your way backwards from yeah with regards to how, how do we do this? And one last thing, something that's always underestimated is communication and training. And really, it doesn't matter. If, if you have an average age of 25, everyone is young, and agile it's all been working in startups still they will need a lot of communication why do we do this uh, why do we spend so much time on this and they will need training at least myself and I, I was lucky to be at some good schools I never learned in business school how to set good goals how do you set customer oriented measurable goals that also have metrics that you can influence on a weekly basis those are things that need to be learned and OKRs is a good infrastructure to develop these goal setting skills in your organization but you need to invest there you need to invest in communication and training. And, and those are probably the most important building blocks. Know why you do it, define your metrics of success for the process, and then don't underestimate communication and training. I'm curious, Johannes, are you an Elon Musk fan by any chance? Well, what does fan mean? Like I've read <laughs> the biography. I I like his Twitter feed. These kind of people, I think, aren't good role models. I think some of the parts they do are amazing. I, of course, admire the things he achieves. I guess, personally, he seems not like a always happy person, sometimes even lonely, I would say. But as an entrepreneur, incredible. And I think it's a it's an outstanding role model for how much you as an entrepreneur and, and not having to be a politician for that can really change the course of markets and how really on a global scale things develop. So that was a very long and complicated German way of saying not like a blind fan, but definitely a yeah very impressed and, and always following what people like Kim are doing. The reason I asked is because I was going through one of your dossier from WorkPath itself, right? And in the content that you have published, it was like the OKR of SpaceX and Elon Musk is a big audacious goals and objectives that they have got. So that's the reason I thought maybe maybe someone from your team is a big fan of uh, Elon Musk. No, I mean, those examples, they work best. Companies everyone is excited about, companies everyone knows. So that's for sure the reason why why our team put this in there. My uh, final question to you would be that uh, what are some of the business books or novels that you are currently reading or you would recommend to some of your listeners as well? People are usually voracious readers, entrepreneurs read a lot. So I'm just curious what you are reading at this point in time or any novel that really comes to your mind. Yeah, indeed. I try to keep up my, my reading routine. I, I always try to set blockers actually in my, my calendar. For me, it's the best source of mental relaxation, I would say. So right now I read Play Bigger, which is about category building. 
How do you define the category you want to play in, market category you want to dominate, you want to serve your customers in, which is an outstanding read. I think you learn a lot about positioning and not just for software, software businesses, I guess. Another one I read just recently is The Road to Somewhere, uh, which is not necessarily entrepreneurial. It's about how societies are being divided, not necessarily anymore in, in the traditional political spectrum, but rather in somewheres and anywheres. So people who stay where they grew up because they just love it there, not always because they cannot leave, just because they like being where they are, usually rather on the conservative end of the spectrum. And then you have anywheres who are like probably rather our bubble, people who studied abroad, feel like they can get a job anywhere in the world, the urban urban elites, some would call them, and that this is actually the structural divide that most societies are facing, which leads to Brexit, which led to, to Trump. And I think that's a very important thing to look at. Generally, one theme, one pattern that I, I've become very excited about is looking for structural divides, looking for parts where systems that once belong together are sort of like where, where there are growing gaps and divides, because I think this is usually the root for the bigger problems. Yeah, a really great book if you're interested in politics and, and how societies are being evolved. Thanks, Johannes, for sharing your worldview. And it was lovely talking to you. And we hope uh, our listeners will enjoy this talk as well. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. Take care.